Hi everyone and welcome back to the Edge podcast. Um, today we're bringing you an episode where we talk with Mark from Atlas Edge. Um, hi Tilly, How, what did you think of the conversation? Hi Annie, yeah I really enjoyed the conversation which was almost done to mark one year um, since Atlas Edge came into being and to hear a little bit about their journey over the last year and, and what they're looking for going forward. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, and so for our listeners who don't know uh, who Atlas Edge are and how they came into being, could you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so Atlas Edge are um, were formed as a joint venture a year ago between Liberty Global, so the telecoms operator, and Digital Bridge. And I guess the thing that's interesting about um, Atlas Edge is partly that they've, they're quite aggressive in terms of the number of sites that they've stood up in the last year and that's both in the UK but also across Europe and obviously that's using sites which um, were sort of technical facilities that Liberty Global owned so they're kind of bringing together um, the real estate that they own Um, but then Liberty Global have been able to access I guess the capital of Digital Bridge in order to do you know make the investments needed to turn those technical sites into edge ready mini data centers so it's a fairly interesting model because it's one that could potentially rival the model that we've seen a lot of where a telecoms operator partners with a hyperscale cloud provider Um, and the reason for that is that you know a lot of telecoms operators are fairly capex constrained in terms of the investments that they can make into edge computing and so they're looking for a partner who can help to provide them with some of that capex and help them get to market quicker and that could be a hyperscaler and that's what we've seen with the the partnerships with Azure and AWS and Google but it also could be uh, a company like Digital Bridge and so um, yeah so it's an interesting sort of thing to to kind of keep track of in terms of seeing how other players in the edge market might look to sort of get to market quicker. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Mark Cooper, who is VP of Edge Strategy at Atlas Edge. Um, I suspect that many of our listeners will have heard of Atlas, Mark, and what you guys have done um, and are currently working on, but it would be great if you could introduce yourself and maybe give a rundown for anyone who's not aware of Atlas and, and what you guys do in the Edge world. Yeah, thanks, Tilly. It's a pleasure to be here today. So Atlas Edge, we're just over a year old. We're a joint venture founded by Digital Bridge and Liberty Global. And our focus is on building a pan-European edge co-location platform. So this is something that we haven't seen anyone else really attempt to do in the industry so far. We've got very good at building large kind of scale facilities, you know, 100 megawatt plus. But no one's really tried to meet the future demand for really distributed edge co-location across multiple countries in Europe. So that's what we're uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, very exciting space to be in. And what's sort of the state of play? I mean, that was a great recap of like what the ambition of Atlas Edge is. In terms of understanding that you're one year into your journey, what's the current state of play today in terms of um, deployments and I guess also maturity of um, the platform and, and what you guys offer? Yeah, so we're, uh, we're a year in. And obviously, the given our heritage, it was a very kind of a very mixed base of assets that came into the joint venture. So we have the assets that were acquired by Digital Bridge from Colt. Colt decided that they didn't want to focus on um, retail co-location anymore. And then we have the Liberty Global tech 
basically the tech real estate assets which came in. If you can imagine, that's a very distributed, very different set of assets. So we spent the last year standardizing across the assets because it's when we're talking to the customers, one of the really important things is that they want to have, I'll call it a ubiquitous experience, whether they're taking space from us in, in Manchester, um, in Leeds, uh, Berlin, Madrid. So it's been very much about focusing on making sure that the customer experience looks, feels and acts the same across all of that portfolio. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, in terms of that, it, it, do you see that as a key differentiator? And therefore, is it that most of your customers, maybe the anchor customers, the main customers that you have today are customers that have in some way a, a pan-European um, reach themselves? Or do you see that there are people using, you know, Atlas Edge sites where they just have one one sort of deployment in one country? What what does that look like today, I guess, in terms of the, the customers and the demand that you're getting from the market? Yeah, so the, the customer base is, is actually quite diverse. So we, we talk about being a, a platform first company. And what that means is we're very, very focused on the hyperscale platforms, because what we've seen is it's the hyperscale that's really driving and defining where the edge is going at the moment. But there's also a very large install base of enterprise customers as well. That could be a Fortune 500 customer that's with us in multiple countries, or it could be someone that's in a, just a very specific city. So from that perspective, it's a very diverse set of customers. But the feedback we get is it's very much about them looking for that ubiquitous ex- experience. They want it. They actually want to be buying it as as a platform rather than saying, okay, it's an individual space in a particular country or city. Mm-hmm. And just to understand, when you said hyperscale cl- platform, do you mean that you are serving the hyperscale cloud providers and they are putting in their infrastructure? Or what did you mean by that That being one of your main customers? Uh, so it's, it's definitely a focus area of ours. Obviously, okay. of, you know, non-disclosure reasons, we can't talk about particular, cu- particular customers or platforms. But what we've seen is the, the demand that's coming particularly in the tier two and tier three cities, that's really being driven by the, the large hyperscalers, whether that's an AWS, Microsoft, Oracle, Google, and mm-hmm. Meta, they're all kind of looking in the same direction. They've all got the same motion, which is what we call cloud out, which is where they're looking to put their compute infrastructure closer to the end users, whether that's um, enterprise or consumer. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And in terms of, um, I guess, specific customers or use case types that you think are driving either this could be you know that the hyperscale cloud providers then passing it on to their end customers or directly with enterprise customers is there anything in particular where you'd say you know a lot of this is about um web optimization or a lot of this is about content delivery or you know a lot of this is about video analytics or you know is there anything from the mark from your perspective of where the market is really saying this justifies distribution and therefore you know this is what we would we would want to put in an atlas edge type site yeah i think that there's there's two things that we're seeing that are driving it so one which we hadn't expected which is around data sovereignty Mm -hmm. so data sovereignty has become a hot topic across i think all of europe so some of this some of this deployment is being driven by the users wanting to have the data in proximity to them that could be at a country level, but it could even be at a, an individual state level um, in a country. The other things we're seeing is around the, um, particularly the retail and distribution space. 
So if you imagine a supermarket, if you think about the amount of IT systems that sit in a supermarket right now, it doesn't scale to have that in every single Tesco, Marks and Spencers. So they're looking at, okay, how can they pull that infrastructure out, but still have it close enough from a latency perspective to their end users? And then the same again in the logistics and distribution space. If you can imagine a large logistics company like a FedEx or DHL, they've got thousands of these centers. And at the moment, the IT is very, very distributed. And again, they're looking at ways of how can they get it off-prem, but close enough to the end users that it still delivers the latency that they need. Yeah, yeah. I've heard this recently too, especially um, with the energy crisis that's going on across Europe, that enterprises are pretty keen if they can, you know, get a big load of IT kit that's quite power hungry off their sites and maybe hand that off to someone, someone else who may have, you know, the ability to access um, different types of energy at different rates to them that that's quite preferable so I don't know if you've come across that one as well but in as a sort of shorter term trigger I've, I've, I've heard that coming through as, as a reason to try and move off-prem where you where you can in, in some instances. Yeah I think uh, I think energy is high on everyone's agenda at the moment and it's, yeah. it's something that we we addressed very early on because of the the assets that came in from the two shareholders we took a very, very early position around energy management and what we do with energy hedging and pricing. And that's something that's really been appreciated by our customers that we're actually ahead of the crisis that's now kind of unfortunately hitting everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe a natural question that our listeners might want to understand is the Atlas Edge model, it looks a bit different to, I guess, what some of the other telecoms operators are doing across Europe with their edge strategy. So um, if I take the example of Vodafone and AWS, for instance, because I think it's quite, you know, relatively well known, they, I believe, have one or two sites in, um, you know, maybe one in London, one in Dublin, I think, and then um, sort of similar across Germany. So they're, while they've got ambitions, I think, to go further than that, their actual distribution today is, um, you know, is not that deep within a within a country. And um, the Atlas Edge model is quite different to that. You guys are talking about um, very, I think, even several hundred sites, say, across the UK that could potentially be um, lit up as edge locations. So I was just wondering, you know, is that partly because of that asset base where, you know, actually you've got that option and therefore if there's customer demand, you'll be able to meet it? Or do you feel that it is, you know, that even today there's justification for that level of distribution and, and kind of we should be talking more about hundreds of sites rather than tens of sites across across the country in, in Europe? I guess it's it's all three of those things. So you, you mentioned something there interesting there, which is the, the idea of optionality. Mm. So we have access to all of these sites that we can actually turn up when we see customer demand. Mm-hmm. Second is that even in some of these smaller locations within the UK, there is there is already demand there. It may not be, may not be demand on a, a large scale. You know, it could only be a couple of cabinets of, of infrastructure right now. But it's demand that is there that hasn't really been served before. And then the third piece is that, yeah, there are locations where we're building out, but that's driven by customer demand. So where we've had a customer say, OK, the... The capital city is getting too big to fail. So people talk about flat cities, and that's why you start to see demand coming outside of those capital cities as well, because there's so much infrastructure concentrated in those, those locations that you need all, all alternatives, even if it's just from a pure resilience perspective. 
Mm-hmm. And presumably with that level of distribution, you've already mentioned standardization, but also some level of automation and sort of orchestration between these sites must be a, a big part of kind of what you're looking at today and, and on the roadmap in terms of keeping the management of all these sites, you know, as, as kind of cost effective as, as possible. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so standardization is, is a big piece. One of the advantages we had as a startup was we didn't have any IT stack. So we were actually able to, to go from the ground up and look at, OK, how do we deploy a stack that, that works from, from end to end? Rather than deploying five or six different systems and having to integrate, we've taken the approach, OK, let's deploy a single homogenous IT stack. And then that then becomes the single pane of glass for the customer, whether it's um, accessing the site through access requests, whether it's toll tickets, whether it's the billing, whether it's inventory management. And I think as we go into deploying hundreds of sites, that investment is really going to pay off. Mm-hmm. So it's the getting the happy balance between the standardization and the optionality for your customers that you talked about. And I guess, you know, towing that that line, making that that really work so that people can, you know, put in the infrastructure that they need and, and manage that stack how they want to, but also you know, keep it so that, that you guys can look after that across all the, the sites that you're deploying in. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is it is a fine balance between having standardization, but also having the flexibility if a customer says, well, I actually need to do something that's I know, slightly more power dense than the standard configuration. We can still cater for that. But obviously, the only way you can do this at scale and really treat it as a platform is, is through standardization. Yeah, that makes sense. And if we look a bit to the future, so a lot's kind of been a, been achieved in the one year that you guys have um, been formally around. If we look to the future, it, is it more of the same? Do you expect to be kind of, you know, lo- looking to really focus on scale out of, of what you've you've got today? Or you know, what, what, what do you expect in the next year or two in, in terms of what's on the, the journey for Atlas Edge? I think that the easy answer is more dots on the map. So whether that's um, going into additional countries within Europe, whether that's going to additional cities within existing um, countries. And I think that that's really where our focus is. It's about getting even an even broader scale out of, of the platform. Okay. And in terms of the customer demand that's going to drive that, again, do you expect you'll be serving similar customers in a few years' time to what you serve today? Or do you think there will be a you know any any step changes out there in, in terms of who needs this compute who who most wants to kind of consume things in a distributed fashion yeah i think one of the things that surprised us so far is the the edge is larger than we expected and when i say larger in terms of the the deployments we've been asked to do now um they're larger than we thought they would be mm. but over time we expect that there will be you'll continue to see those requirements for the larger edge deployments but you'll also see this demand for that next wave, which is the we want to go into 10 cities in France. We we want to go into 20 cities in Spain and being able to do that through a, a single platform, single provider. And is that the, the thing about it being larger than you expected? Is that partly because I think there's been a lot of discussion about the idea that applications or use cases won't be deployed you know, all of it will be employed, deployed in one location. So, for instance, you'll see, you know, maybe some stuff on-prem, some workloads running, you know, in, in something like an Atlas Edge data center, and then maybe other workloads running in a more, you know, a larger 
um, sort of hyperscale data center and, and you'll see all of that across the spectrum. Um, and I guess the the reasoning behind that was the idea that there's going to be a you know a premium for these edge sites, a big premium. And so you're not going to want to run any workloads that aren't you know latency sensitive or don't have data sovereignty requirements you know in those sites. Yeah. Is, is that you know would you do you think that that model is still kind of the right model or do you you know is it partly that the reason that some of these deployments are larger scale is because there is you know pe- maybe customers aren't sophisticated enough yet or applications haven't been aren't sophisticated enough yet to run multiple different workloads in multiple sites and orchestrate across all of that so just you know wondering your perspective on that Yes, I think, I mean, the, the reason I said that the edge is larger than we thought is because we've seen the demand coming from, from the platforms. Mm. So it's them moving their compute infrastructure closer to the end user. You touched on something really interesting there, which is around, will there be a premium for these locations? And when you mm. think about it, these are small sites. You can only sell the space that, that's in them once. And it's going to be, you want to have that space utilised for the most latency-sensitive applications. So whether that's you, you know, you're sitting at home with your augmented reality headset on, whether you're out on the street with a, kind of some kind of AR glasses on. So I think, yeah, there's, there will absolutely be more value from these locations than has currently been been realised. Yeah, so that's kind of on the on the agenda as these some of the use cases that are talked about a lot, but maybe actually don't, you know, drive a lot of the infrastructure today. Um, they'll come to fruition over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, we've managed to get through the whole interview without saying metaverse, but obviously <laughs> that, that's one that um, everyone talks about as as the application. And um, yeah, I think, I mean, obviously that's, it's kind of wait and see at the moment. And I don't think there will be one metaverse. It's going to be a multiverse of metaverses, but it it, it will come. You know, I think AR is, is the future. Amazing. Well, I I look forward to it. I look forward to my little metaverse avatar and all that it comes with. Um, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. That was a really fab conversation. Thanks, Tilly. Great to talk to you. So for the last section of today's podcast, as ever, Annie would be keen to hear what's caught your eye in the edge news this week. Yeah, um, so one thing that I wanted to share is the fact that um, finally Azure Public Mac is available for public use. And this is quite interesting because, um, well, we've seen a lot happening with the uh, sort of the AWS and uh, Verizon partnership. This one, so the partnership between um, Azure and AT&T has been, I guess, less active. So it's really nice to see things happening. And so um, I guess the Big news is that um, Azure Public Mac will be um, available currently. um, It's uh, just in two sites, so in Atlanta and uh, Dallas, but additional sites will be coming soon um, to Detroit. And one interesting thing um, about this um, this news, I guess, is that, you know, reading the press release from Microsoft, um, you can see that it's quite tailored to the de- developer community and the language that they use is very much, um, I guess, again, targeted at, at people who will be actually developing the applications um, on the platform. So, for example, one thing um, that's interesting about this proposition is that they've designed it in a way where um, the developers can 
expect to have 26% reduction in pink time. And then another um, another feature is that there will be about 20% uh, reduction in JITA, uh, which is essentially the variance in latency um, on the network. And the last um, final um, bit is that there will be a 36% improvement in time to first byte. So again, uh, as you can see, the language is, is quite interesting and, and yeah, hopefully um, this is just the start of the of the process and things are ramping up. So it's really interesting to see what will um, what will come next. Mm, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see those KPIs and kind of understand how they are justifying and explaining the benefits of edge um, and maybe it's moving beyond a little bit and a sort of a round trip end-to-end -end latency number which we've heard discussed a lot um, you know in previous years when people talk about the benefits of edge so definitely an interesting thing to see. Yeah and I, I know Tilly that you write something else as well and you wanted to share that so mm. well. Yeah. Well, I thought we should also mention um, Dell's announcement of Project Frontier, and I guess it seems fairly significant to me that they are looking to move into more of the infrastructure management and orchestration side of things and actually develop a software platform to help to manage Dell Edge infrastructure. And I guess in my head, I would assume that the likes of the VMwares and the Red Hats of this world will be, you know, watching that information quite carefully and wanting to see, you know, how much that impacts the types of platforms that they are looking to handle um, and manage for customers. So, yeah, it's it's another interesting piece of news. I think it shows how serious Dell are and kind of, you know, their investment in the edge space. Um, I don't think it's something that's available until 2023. So there's a good amount of time for us to digest the news and understand what we think it means for the ecosystem. But I also thought it was notable and worth shouting out to our listeners in, in case they missed it. Nice. Uh, well, thank you, Tilly, for the episode. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye.